0: preach about the blood of Jesus today and so uh, we're going to start this new series today called finished and we're going to continue it for the next several weeks all the way to Easter we're excited about that today but the first part of this series I want to talk about today the title of my message today is called power in the blood to save power in the blood to save now I know it's a little bit longer of a title but power in the blood to save and there's a reason we just sang about it, because there is power in the blood. Come on now, somebody. Now I'm going to teach, and then I'm going to go preach. But you need to respond for both. Power in the blood to save. Now this is going to probably be the, the most different scripture I've ever turned to at the beginning of a service, but Leviticus 17, 11. You'll see what, where we're going today. Leviticus 17, 11. We're going to read it here. It's all going to make sense. but We're going to start here. Leviticus 17, 11. This is going to be our first verse for today. It says, For the life of the body is in its blood, and I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. And it is the blood, everybody say the blood, given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Notice, the life is in the blood, And it says that it is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Other translations say makes atonement or makes covering, makes appeasement with God, makes you right with God. It's only the blood in exchange for a life that makes you right with God. Are you here so far today? So today we're talking about power in the blood to save. Power in the blood to save. So we're talking today predominantly about the blood of Jesus. Now, I realize they say in the modern church, with modern people, don't talk about the blood because it makes people uncomfortable. It makes people uneasy in church when you talk about the blood. But if we don't talk about the blood, what do we have to talk about? (laughs) And it makes people uncomfortable and uneasy because they think they're so sophisticated in 2018 that this idea of blood and sacrifices is so far beneath them, but that's not the case. Because the blood is the power of God to save. And if there is no shedding of blood, there is no salvation, there is no forgiveness, there is no power to save without the blood. And so that's why we sang about the blood today on purpose, because we're not ashamed of the blood of Jesus today in this church. Not in a weird way, but in a real way, we are not ashamed of the blood of Jesus. And we're preaching about the blood of Jesus today because we are not ashamed of the blood of Jesus. Because the power to save is in the blood. I love this, some of you have heard his name before, but Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher said, a bloodless gospel is a lifeless gospel. Without the blood being in the gospel or the message you preach, it has no power, it has no life in it, because the life is in the blood. So that's why we're going to talk about the power in the blood to save. There's power in the blood. And let us not be ashamed to sing about the blood of Jesus. Let us not be ashamed to preach about the blood of Jesus because it is the power and the life of God to us. And if it makes you uncomfortable, so be it. And if it makes you uneasy, so be it. Jesus was uncomfortable on the cross. I think he felt a little uneasy when his blood was being shed for you for forgiveness. So when we talk about that and you feel a little uncomfortable because you're so modern and sophisticated in 2018, let's not be because the blood is the power of God. It is the life of God. And a bloodless gospel is a lifeless gospel. But we're going to go back to the beginning to show you how this thing got started. And then we're going to take you into what Jesus has done for us. Can we do that today? So I'm going to teach, then I'm going to preach. And you're going to respond all the way through it. I can feel it. Power in the blood to save. So let's go back to Genesis 3. We're going to go back to the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And what happened in the beginning that caused this whole thing. So Genesis 3, 6 and 8. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Let's stop right there on that verse. Let's go back. But notice it says, when they sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately tried to cover themselves up. Because sin brings shame. Sin brings guilt. And there's something in all of us as human beings that we know we need to cover ourselves when we sin. We need to... Uh, appease the gods when we sin. We need to uh, cover ourselves up or make it right with God or whoever we believe in when we sin. We all know that. It's all in us instinctively since the beginning. And it says, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, notice they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. That's religion. Religion tries to do things to cover themselves, to make them right with God. And it never works. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. But there is no forgiveness of sin without blood. Without blood. So those fig leaves really didn't cover their sin. It covered their body, but it didn't cover their sin. It covered their body, but it didn't cover their heart. It covered their body, but it didn't cover their shame and their guilt. And so they sewed fig leaves together. And we think we're so sophisticated in 2018. People do that every day. They're not wearing fig leaves, but they do things to cover themselves. They do things to make themselves right with whoever they think is up in heaven. They do that every day. Most people who don't know God, they give. Why do they give? To make things right with the good Lord above. Why do people serve that don't know God? They serve to make their conscience feel better that I'm covered and I'm made right with whoever's up there and I'm appeasing something on the inside and so I'm going to do notice good works to make myself right with whoever's up there. Most things you hear from people when they pass away, well, did they go to heaven? Well, they were a good person. I didn't ask that. Well, they were a good person. Why, why are you saying that? Because he did good works to try to appease their conscience and make themselves feel better. Some of you are sitting in church this morning to make yourself feel better. Not because you really love God. And that is the same way that Adam and Eve were. They are sowing fig leaves together to appease that, to atone for their sin, to cover themselves, to make themselves right when you can't make yourself right without blood. And so they sowed fig leaves together. And notice what they did like most people. When you sin, what do you do? You don't run to God, you run away from God. Now that's not the heart of God, but most people do that. They run away from God when they mess up. But notice God was pursuing man. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. Notice God was pursuing man. Man was running away. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Let's go to the next verses. Verse 20, then Adam and the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And notice the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So notice what God did. God made a sacrifice for Adam and Eve. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So figs couldn't pay the price for their sin. So God had to pay the price for Adam and Eve. And I'm sorry all you PETA people in here and you vegans. But God killed an animal. God killed an animal. And it says that God made Adam and Eve something to wear out of animal skins. He killed an animal and made a sacrifice because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Now, some of you are saying, man, that sounds harsh. That sounds mean. Actually, that's mercy. Let me tell you why. Because the wages of sin is death. And in reality, Adam and Eve deserve to die, not the animal. So God killing an animal is mercy for them. And that's when this system of sacrifices... And the blood being shed came into being. Was right here. God said I'm going to show mercy to mankind. And even though they deserve death. They deserve to die because the wages of sin is death. I'm going to use something for a season. For them to atone or make themselves right with God. By giving animal sacrifices. Because without the shedding of blood. Once again there is no forgiveness of sin. So I'm going to be merciful to mankind and let them sacrifice these animals as a substitute for them to make themselves right with me. But notice it was only a temporary being right with God. So guess what? In the Old Testament, every Sunday, guess what? You're dragging some more animals with you into church because you messed up again. So every Sunday... You had an animal with you because you're like, yep, I blew it again. Bring it to the altar. Let's sacrifice it. Sorry, that was my favorite dog. I apologize. It wouldn't be a dog. It would be a cat, of course. Oh, man, that was my favorite lamb. I'm sorry, lamb. You got to die again. I messed up. I blew it again this week. Okay, let me grab this turtle dove, this parrot. Let me put it on the altar here. I'm sorry, I blew it again. So every week you would have to do the same thing over and over and over and over again because mercy is, I'd rather this animal die than me. And God for a season dealt with his people in that way with sacrifices. He said, I know you're the one who messed up, you're the one who sinned, but I'm going to let this animal be a substitute for you and pay the price for your sin. Notice, to make you right with me. To atone for your sins. Now there's a word that comes into play in the Old Testament and it's called atonement. Everybody say atonement. And what the word atonement means is to cover, is to make right, is to appease or to satisfy. Atonement is what happens when you cover or you make right the sins that you did in your life. And God said, I'm going to use these animals as a sacrifice to atone for your sins. Are you following me so far? To appease me, to cover you, to make you right. And it's only going to be temporary, but for right now, this is the best we have. And I know it sounds ancient, and it sounds crude to say this on a Sunday morning about sacrificing animals, but that's the way it was. And we see that Early believers were not the only people who did that. Every early group of people had sacrifices. Read history. Every group of people believed in some sort of sacrificing to appease God or the gods. Every group of people. Now, who put that in them? God put that in them. They knew internally that I need to make things right with who's ever up there. I need to appease the gods. I need to atone for my sins. I need to make myself right. And even people who didn't know the true and living God read history, bought into this idea of sacrifices, and they sacrificed animals. Sometimes even they took it to a demonic way, and they would sacrifice even human beings to appease the gods. But this idea of I need to atone for myself, it's a right. That God put in us And so we see that even people that didn't know The true and living God used this idea of sacrifices Because God is holy And since God is holy And man is sinful There's separation And to Make up The barrier between God and man Blood must be shed there must be atonement, there must be sacrifice, there must be appeasement. And that's what these animals did for the time being. It was God's mercy. God's mercy for mankind that he allowed this to happen. So let's look at Leviticus 17, we're going to turn there, 11. And I encourage you, in your personal devotional life, this will be the one and only time I tell you to read Leviticus. But read Leviticus 16 and 17. Just two chapters. Because it's going to have to do with what we're about to talk about right now, about the day of atonement. So Leviticus 17:11, I encourage you in your own time, read Leviticus 16 and 17. You don't got to read the whole book because you'll get lost somewhere in Leviticus. But read Leviticus 16 and 17. So Leviticus 17:11, notice what it says, for the life of the body is in its blood. And I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Now this word purification possible really in the original language and some of your Bibles say that it makes atonement. There's that word coming up again. It makes atonement possible. It makes covering possible. It makes you right with God because of the blood given in exchange for a life. So I encourage you to read that in your own time. But we see the whole book of Leviticus is about worshiping God and giving him sacrifices. And there's a big portion of the scriptures in Leviticus that have to do with how we should come into the presence of God, how we should sacrifice, and what the high priest or the ministers of that day were required to do. So I'm going to take you into that, because it has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us today. So we see that sacrifices are a way of God's mercy for our sins. And without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. There is no purification. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. But it's interesting, for the life of the body is in its blood. You realize the blood is what runs your body. Do you guys know that? Uh, It's interesting, when I went to the wellness center, uh, just like my dad did to to kind of figure out my body and and what's going on, blood literally told them everything they needed to know about my body. Blood. And you're thinking, how would my blood know that about this part of my body? It's all in the blood. Doing those blood tests literally told everything that my doctor needed to know about my body just with a blood test. Because the life is in the blood. And the blood is significant because it represents your life. So without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. No forgiveness of sins. So we're going to talk about the day of atonement. The day of atonement. In the Old Testament, there was a day... That was given to God's people. And this is what it looked like. I'm going to to show you what it looked like. And then we're going to go to the New Testament. And show you how that pertains to Jesus. And where we are today. I told you God gave. Sacrifices as. A way of being merciful to his people. To make up for sin. To atone for sin. But once they, they got out of slavery. Out of Egypt. God kind of. Refined the way they did things He kind of made it better He made a plan So we read about this in our Bibles That God made a place For his presence to dwell Because he wanted to be with his people And so it's called the tabernacle In the Old Testament Later on it became the temple And then today where we live today It's the church Come on now somebody It's the church But in the Old Testament It was the tabernacle Now stay with me the tabernacle in the Old Testament is where God's presence dwelled. And it was in the middle of the camp. It was in the middle of God's people because God wants to be in the middle. Now, He don't want to be in the, the, the outskirts of your life or, the, or, or your side piece of your life. He wants to be in the middle. So God was in the middle of the camp, in the tabernacle with His presence. Now, once again, God is holy. Since God is holy... And man is sinful, they can't come into contact with each other without man becoming holy, becoming forgiven. And without the shedding of blood, that's impossible. Now, I'd like to explain it like this. Now, most of you have seen Indiana Jones. Some of you in here that are right with the Lord. You've seen Indiana Jones in the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence in the Old Testament is like the sun. It is so powerful, it is so pure, it is so holy, if something that isn't holy comes into contact with it, it's destroyed. Because it's so powerful. That's why they needed a covering when they went into God's presence. So this is what would happen. In the tabernacle, there was the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence dwelled. Now you should be thankful people. We live in the day and age where God's presence doesn't dwell in a place or in a box. The Holy Spirit is everywhere right now on the earth because of what Jesus has done. So guess what? When you leave church, you don't have to take an ark with you. The Holy Spirit's living on the inside of you. And to be honest, you are living, walking Arks of the Covenant because the presence of God lives on the inside of you now. All right, side note. Outer court, inner court, Holy of Holies. So in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Now you've seen the Ark of the Covenant in pictures. The Ark of the Covenant was a gold box. The gold box that c- contained... Uh, Things from the past of uh, God's people Things that were precious to God's people It contained the Ten Commandments It contained the, the staff of Moses and Aaron It contained precious artifacts And so in the Ark of the Covenant It was a gold box And it had to do with the presence of God So the presence of God dwelled there In the Holy of Holies But on the top of the Holy of Holies Was these two angels And these two angels are covering each other like this. If you see it in a picture, look it up later. These two angels are covering themselves like this. But in the middle of those two angels was a place called the mercy seat. I'm not even to Hebrews yet. You've got to slow down on me here. Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. So in the holy of holies was that ark with the angels. In the middle was the mercy seat. So this is what would happen for God's people. Since God's people weren't just a couple people or a couple hundred, a couple thousand, there were hundreds and thousands, even millions of people, God said, let's do this a little bit better. Instead of us always bringing a ton of sacrifices day and night, day and night, let's take a day of the year called the Day of Atonement, and we're going to atone for the whole entire nation on one day. So what would happen is the high priest of that day, which was Aaron, would first of all take a bath. How many say amen for preachers who take a bath? Come on, I took a shower before I came today. He put on deodorant. He'd wear a certain type of outfit. It was all in white. The high priest. It was very specific. If you read Leviticus, he had to dress a certain way. He had to bathe a certain way. Because he was notice he was trying to appease God And he had to do it the right way Or less he would die Why? Because the wages of sin is death And if you come into the presence of a holy God Being sinful without atonement You die Okay, you follow me so far So the high priest Not just a priest The high priest, one person Think about this One person, one time a year would get to go into the presence of God. One person, one time a year, would actually get to go into the presence of God. Come on, let's be thankful for where we are today. One person, one time a year. And they went in with fear and trembling. Now you've heard of this before, they would tie a rope around their foot with a bell on it. Because there has been priests that went in there before that died immediately. Immediately. So they would have to drag him out So the high priest What would he do He would go into the holy of holies One day Called the day of atonement And he would put the blood of a lamb On the mercy seat As a type and a shadow Of the blood covering our sins One day one person, the day of atonement. And when he did that, it was not just for him, it was for the whole nation of Israel for their sins to be forgiven. Are you, are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you getting anything so far today? i got to teach you before I preach to you today. And so he would put the blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. Now if he lived, it worked. If he died, try again. (laughs) Who wants to go in next? Let's get this guy on out of here. That's the way it was. So that's what they would do on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. But you know, the Day of Atonement, animal sacrifices are all types and shadows of what's to come in the New Covenant where we're living today. Now there's a reason I explained to you what happened back then because then when we read in Hebrews in a moment, it's all going to make sense. So the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, the high priest went and sacrificed for all the people and put the blood on the mercy seat. And once again, if he lived, it worked. If he died, it didn't. But that was one person, one time a year, that got to go into the presence of God. One of my favorite examples of this in the Old Testament, which is the type and shadow of the things to come, is Moses when... Um, God's people were being delivered out of Egypt. One of the last plagues that happened was the death of the firstborn. But God told His people, you're not going to suffer these plagues like the Egyptians do because you're on my side. You're in my family. I love it. It says, it was dark in Egypt. Come on now, somebody. But it was light where God's people dwelled. They were having plagues in hell in Egypt, but it was light in the church. So yes, this world is getting darker, but the good news is the church is getting brighter and brighter. Now that's the good news. And God says it's, it's dark over here, but it's light over here. And he said on this last plague, he said the death angel, which isn't from God, is going to come into the whole entire place, all, all, all of Egypt, the, the uh, Egyptians and God's people, and the firstborn son is going to die because Pharaoh refuses to let this go. And he, and he knew that if Pharaoh's son's son died, it would be a wake-up call to Pharaoh. And so they called, the death angel would come in and the firstborn son would die But there's a type and shadow. Now that's why you got to study your Bible and read your Bible. Your Bible is not boring. You are boring. Because the Bible is alive and full of power. And if you read it and you study it, you see things from Genesis to Revelation that will make you shout at your work. That will make you shout at your kitchen table. The Bible's not boring. So there's a type and shadow that he put in here. He said, I want each of you families to kill a lamb. And I want you to eat the lamb, but save the blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And he said, I want you to save the blood, and I want you to take the blood and put it on your doorpost. And when you put it on your doorpost, when the death angel comes by, he will pass over. Come on, are you here today? We're Pentecostals around here. And that's why still today they celebrate the Passover. Jewish people celebrate Passover. What does it mean? That God, because of His grace and His mercy, the blood was applied to them and the enemy had to pass over. And when the blood of Jesus is applied to your life and my life, the enemy has to pass over. Now that's not just preacher talk, that's your Bible. (laughs) When sickness comes to your life, the enemy has to pass over. When poverty comes to your life, the enemy has to pass over. When death comes to your life, the enemy has to pass over. When depression comes to your life, the enemy has to pass over. And not because of you, because of the blood. If the enemy had to pass over for the blood of a lamb, not the son of God, how much more us? But notice that was a type and shadow pointing us to Christ. In the same way, the Day of Atonement in all Levit- Leviticus, it's not about Leviticus, it's not about the Day of Atonement, it's pointing us to Jesus. Now, you didn't realize you went to Portland Bible College this morning, but it was good for you. In the Bible, awesome. The blood of Jesus is precious, it's powerful. I want to read you a few verses about the blood of Jesus. Let's go to Romans 5 and verse 9. It says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Let's go to the next one. Ephesians 1 and 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. I'm just giving you some scriptures here about the blood in your Bible. Let's go to the next verse. Colossians 1.20 And through him God reconciled everything to himself and he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. There's power in the blood. The blood of God is precious. It is powerful. But we want to get into this last part of this message today and I'm going to read some verses out of Hebrews and let's talk about this. If you want to know about in the New Testament under this new covenant how the blood applies to our lives and what Jesus did for us. Really I encourage you Hebrews 7, 8, 9 and 10 all explain what these Old Testament sacrifices mean in the New Testament. The thing that's amazing about Jesus is not only is Jesus our high priest in this new covenant or this new testament, but Jesus is our sacrifice. So let's read some verses. Hebrews 9, verse 11. We're talking about the blood. Hebrews 9 and verse 11, it says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. And he has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. Notice this, with his own blood, with Jesus' own blood, not with the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, or the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think, how much more? You ever heard that before? How much more? The blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice For our sins. So not only is Jesus in this new covenant. Our high priest. But he's our sacrifice. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 and 11. Under the old covenant. The priest stands and ministers before the Lord. Before the altar. Day after day. Offering. Notice we said. You got to keep bringing sacrifices all the time. The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again which could never take away sin. Verse 12, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Now let's stop right there. Leave that verse up there. Now there's a difference. He's trying to make the point. In the Old Testament because it wasn't perfect. They had to keep doing it over and over and over and over again because the high priest wasn't perfect and the sacrifice wasn't perfect. But under this new covenant, the high priest Jesus is perfect. And not only is he perfect, the sacrifice is perfect. And so Jesus had to do that one time, once and for all. Today, if you receive salvation, he doesn't have to go back to the cross. He doesn't have to do it again. He doesn't have to go to heaven and do anything else because he did it perfectly 2,000 years ago. He did it once and for all because the high priest was perfect, the sacrifice was perfect, and he did it once and for all, for all mankind. But our high priest offered himself to God, notice, as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Not only is his sacrifice good for all time, it's good for everyone for all time. Now that's the good news. Don't matter what your background, what your past is, the sacrifice that he paid is good for all time, for everyone. That's the good news. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There He waits until His enemies are humbled and made a footstool under His feet. For by that one offering He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Let's jump back to Hebrews 10. And we're going to read, I think, of verse 11 and 12. Okay, we'll read that in a moment. Now, you guys are getting something so far. You follow me today. So Jesus... He's the perfect high priest, and he was the perfect sacrifice, and his blood is perfect. So this is what happened. Picture this in in your mind today as you leave. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was an example of what's in heaven. And when God told Moses and God's people how to build that tabernacle And how to do those things It's because it's like that in heaven So when Jesus died and paid the price What did Jesus do? Well Jesus as the high priest Now I don't know how this is possible It's supernatural I can't explain to you how this is possible But it happened It's true, when Jesus died on the cross and He was in hell for three days and He rose again, Jesus, the high priest, just like the high priest in the Old Testament in the Day of Atonement, went into the Holy of Holies, which is God's presence. And not a Holy of Holies on the earth, but the Holy of Holies in heaven. And in heaven, there is a mercy seat. And Jesus, I don't know how this happened, but he's the high priest and the sacrifice. So he put his own blood on the mercy seat. Once and for all, for all time, for all mankind, forever. Now, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. It'll make a Presbyterian take a lap, my God. Once and for all time, forever, for everyone. Because it was perfect It was perfect And he put it on the mercy seat And it says that In the New Testament If you read your Bible In the New Testament Every time it talks about Jesus It says he is seated At the right hand of the Father This is what it says right here But our high priest Offered himself to God As a single sacrifice for sins Good for all time Then he sat down and the place of honor of God's right hand. So when you see Jesus after the cross, he is seated at the right hand of God. Now, what's important about that? Well, the right hand of God stands for a lot of things it stands for authority, it stands for favor, it stands for power. In those days, who was at the right hand was someone who had the authority, the power, the favor. Of whoever was in charge, so Jesus is seated at the right hand. But what else do I see about this? Now this is where it gets really good. Why do you sit down? Because because you're what, Miss Donna? Because you're you're finished. Now some of you should have shouted when Miss Donna said that. Why do you sit down? Because you're what? I need you to shout it a little bit louder. Because you're what? You're finished. It's finished. We serve a God who's finished it. It's a finished work. In our side as believers, we all have to, this is all we have to do, is receive the finished work of what Jesus has did. That is what we do as believers. All we do is receive. Salvation, finished, receive. Healing, finished, receive. Prosperity, finished, Receive it. Peace, joy, everything that God has for us, finished. And all we do is receive it. Now don't just think those are filler words when it says, Oh, that's precious. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. No, he's sitting down because it's finished. He doesn't have to get back up to help us today because it's finished. He didn't have to do anything more for you because it's finished. He's done already all He's ever going to do and all we have to do is receive it. Now this is redemption preaching right here. This is faith preaching, not I'm wishing, I'm hoping that God will do something. No, it's finished. And that's why He's seated at the right hand of God because He's finished. When you're done with your chores, what do you do? You sit down, because you're finished when you had a long day at work what do you do you sit down because you're finished (laughs) when you're done eating your food and you got a big old fat belly after eating that good old food you sit down because you're finished and Jesus has finished the work that's why Jesus is seated at the right hand of God because he's finished come on do you believe it today it's a finished work Hebrews 12, 24. Brother Daryl, could you come up and play for a moment? Hebrews 12, 24. I want to mention one more verse. I'm going to read something to you. Talking about the power in the blood to save. It's a finished work. He's sitting down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 24. I love this verse. It says, You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates this new covenant between God and people, And to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So it says you come to Jesus and today, I don't know how this works, but it works. In heaven today, on the mercy seat is the blood of Jesus. Once and for all, For all time, for everyone, there is blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And that blood, I don't think it speaks where you could hear it with your natural ears, but the blood of Jesus speaks in heaven. Do you know that? And it says that just like the blood of Abel cried out for vengeance, cried out because of sin, the blood of Jesus' blood cries out, and it cries out for forgiveness. Now hear me here. Some translations say this, the blood of Abel cries out for justice, but the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. And it's forever in heaven speaking for us. So what about the blood of Abel? He's given an example. Without God in your life, when you sin, that blood that you shed in a ways cries out for vengeance, revenge. It cries out for justice. It cries out for you need to get punished for this. But the blood of Jesus cries out something different. It cries out forgiveness. It cries out mercy. It cries out grace. I was thinking about this earlier. When we sin and it cries out for justice, it's amazing. All of us in here think we believe in justice until it pertains to you. Isn't that true? <laughs> I was thinking about this because in some translations it says the blood of Abel cries out for justice. All of us in here say, justice! Get what you deserve. Those people deserve to die. They deserve it. You only believe that when it's not you. Come on, let's think people. Let's be thinking believers here. I was thinking about that. So many of us Christians are so hardcore on other people are so mean-spirited on other people. Well, they're getting what they deserve, justice. If you were in their shoes, you wouldn't want that. No, we want justice when it has to do with somebody else, not us. (laughs) God, get them back when you're not the person on the other side of that prayer. Let's be people like Jesus. His blood cries out forgiveness, mercy, grace. It doesn't cry out for justice. It doesn't cry out for vengeance. It doesn't cry out our beloved pastor, my father. How many times has he said this? You don't want what you deserve. That's justice. You want what's being offered, which is mercy, which is forgiveness, which is grace, And we are all in the same boat here. Without the mercy and forgiveness and grace of God, we are all doomed. We are all sinful. We are all deserve death. We all deserve hell. But the good news is the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. Come on, are you getting something today? I just want to say a few more things. I'm going to read this to you. After you leave this place today, I want you to think, next time you mess up and I'm not prophesying it to you, but you probably will, I will. Think about in heaven, when you start beating yourself up and saying, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm a horrible person, I'm worthless, why am I messing up like this? I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to be this way. Realize in heaven, when you mess up, You know all that God can hear? Mercy. Come on now, somebody. Does anybody receive that? When you mess up, the blood is speaking to God Almighty and it says forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Hey, they messed up. It's true. But mercy, mercy, mercy. Give them grace. Give them grace. It's not give them justice. Give them what they deserve. It's mercy. And it's forever in heaven. The blood is speaking on our behalf to God. Think about that. That's how you live as a believer with no condemnation. With no guilt, with no shame. Knowing that God Almighty, all He's thinking in heaven and all He can hear is forgiveness, mercy, mercy grace and that's not just a one time at the altar forgiveness and grace that's an ongoing when you mess up mercy forgiveness grace all you got to do is receive it can't make you receive it can i read something to you as we leave today i appreciate you guys coming today i love you let me read this to you did you get something about the blood of jesus today this is a beautiful article And I know some of you have heard it before. It's called, What the Blood Says About You. You ready for this? Okay. Now put your Pentecostal shoes on. What the blood says about you. I'm speaking this over every person in here from the front to the back. What the blood says about you. I am the blood of Jesus. I am incorruptible. This means I can never be destroyed, depleted, or diminished in power. I am just as strong today as I was 2,000 years ago. I am working effectually for you right now. I am the blood of redemption. I am more precious than silver and gold. I paid for your release from the prison of sin. I bought your freedom. I declare that you are hereby free. I proclaim loudly before God and the saints of God you are God's treasure. I am the blood of freedom. I say you are free. You are free from dead religion. You are free to worship the living God in spirit and truth. I say that bondage is never God's will for you. You shall live in liberty. I am the blood of cleansing. I certify that you have been made spotless. You have been made whole. I proclaim that you have been completely cleansed. I say what God has cleansed, let no one call unclean and common. I am precious. I am dearer than money, cars, clothes, or houses. I am true treasure. I contain all the virtues and qualities of Jesus. Hear me, because I, the blood of Christ, have been applied to your life, and you are precious. Do not believe any words that say otherwise. Are you still hearing this? I am the blood of the intercession. God listens to me as I speak on your behalf. I say you are special, and He agrees. I said that you are bound to succeed, and He agrees. I say you always win, and He agrees. By me, you cannot fail. I am the blood of prosperity. Hear me, I am true prosperity. I guarantee that God will never withhold anything good from you. He gave me the blood of His Son, His best. Now with me, He gladly lavishes you with good things. I am, now I'm just halfway through here. Come on now, somebody. I am the blood of sanctification, Jesus' blood raised from spiritual death through me by God's power. I restored the Son of God into newness. I sanctified him after he had be- become sin and a curse. I restored him unto righteousness. I washed away every defilement of hell. had had tried to take on his body, I have likewise consecrated you. I am the blood of light. I say you walk in light as he is in the light. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you from every stain if you abide in me. I am the blood of access. I certify that you have been approved to enjoy all of heaven's benefits without restriction. I am your passport to the kingdom of God. I announce you are at the center of his presence. A royal son of God has arrived. I am the blood of dominion. I have been applied to your life. I have made you a king. And indeed, where the word of a king is, there is power. By me, you rule and reign. I am the blood of authority. I certify your dominion. I command that your words will be respected. Good God. By me, you have commanding power. Whenever you desire anything, the word promises you can appropriate it by me. I say you have a kingdom authority. You shall decree a thing and it shall be established. I am the blood of blessings. I say the virtue of heaven is in you. You have in your being the life that is stronger than death, stronger than disease, stronger than poverty, stronger than sin. I profess you are too blessed to be cursed and too blessed to be stressed. Let me add that to I am the blood of healing. I am in your body right now imparting life and health to all your flesh. I say that disease cannot stand in my presence. Evil spirits and darkness flee from me. I say you are a vessel of God containing the treasure of divine life. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal all of your wounds. You guys want a little bit more of this? Come on, it's a blessing. I am the blood of promise. It was I, the blood of Jesus, who went into the holy presence of God for you. Heaven stood at attention when I ratified the new covenant, which is far better than the covenant of old. I say your covenant benefits are available now and forevermore. I am the blood of abundance. I promise you a good life. I promise you a long life. I promise you unconditional love, super abundant life that is yours today and forever. Do not settle for less. My goodness. Let me give you a few more. I am the blood of sprinkling I say to the destroyer you shall not come here I say to the plague you cannot come near this dwelling I say to the pestilence and storm this is a child of God under my protection be gone I am the blood of Passover I call out "The one, this one fears God the blood of the lamb has been applied above the dwellings of your door evil cannot enter this place sickness Passover poverty pass over death pass over cuz the blood of Jesus is speaking for you right now i am the blood of confidence i boldly invite you to come into the presence of your father do not be timid come and be blessed come and be refreshed come and find rest you're welcome to come into the father's house enter into the joy of the lord come on in i am the blood that speaks Now hear this, God listens to me. He hears me and I speak of unmerited favor and grace. I, the blood of the lamb, speak unto God on your behalf. By me, he is persuaded. Last but not least, one more. You ready for this? Because the blood of Jesus is right now in heaven speaking for us. This is what he's saying about all of you in here. I am the blood of pleading. Abel's blood cried out for justice. Eye for an eye life for a life but I plead for tender mercies unmerited favor and unlimited grace be at peace I am the blood of Jesus and I right now am pleading your case